All right, welcome to episode four of the Freedom Decoded podcast. Um, we're Demir and Carrie Bentley. If you haven't met us before, we ditched the nine to five, we moved abroad, and today we're living a life that's better than we ever could have imagined. And professionally, we help other people get back in control of their life and get on the path to their ideal life. You can learn more about what we do at www.lifehackmethod.com. But this podcast is where we let our hair down and we give you a peek behind the curtain and show you what a freedom lifestyle really looks like. So today we're going to be talking about financial freedom. Yes, my favorite topic. For real, your favorite topic. We talk about this a lot together. So I'm excited to do an actual podcast episode on it because I know you've said you've heard from people when you have mentioned that our goal is financial independence, that they've said to you, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing? (laughs) Tell us more. Yeah, yeah, give us the lowdown. I mean, specifically, we achieved a really important milestone in our financial freedom. And so that's sort of the occasion for this podcast, in addition to the fact that people always ask us about financial freedom, even though we're not financial independence coaches. That's just a big part of our life. Yes, we're just geeks about it. Um, Well, yeah, why don't we just set the stage and sort of give people a background on it? Um, Because I think what's surprising maybe about our story is that, um, you know, we don't, we haven't started from a place of like wealth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How do I, I was like, how do I put this delicately? What's the word that I'm looking for? (laughs) Well, actually, you know, what's interesting is to set the scene, we actually started with a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Thanks to somebody at this table, me. (laughs) Oh, right. It was you. (laughs) It was me. I mean, uh, I mean, before we get to that, like maybe we'll talk about your side of the equation first, because actually, you know, we weren't equally screwed up when it came to money. Right? You you actually had a really strong financial. Battle. Yeah. Well, my dad is a super uh, powerful investor. Shout out there. Like, he's he's an engineer by trade, but he has turned himself into a master investor um, and it has been grilled into my brain since I was a small child. A penny saved is a penny earned. Weren't you so, telling me that he that when you had a job, he wouldn't let you keep the money and he had he made you like keep it, put it in your 401k when you're like 14 years old? Well, or I mean, in his defense, he never made me do anything with my own okay, money. Okay, he enough. just strongly, strongly encouraged me to do the quote unquote he right thing. He just put thing. his hand heavily on the, on the, on the scale. scale. Yeah. <laughs> But it was great, you know. It, it really taught me a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of good lessons about money from a very early age. So fast forwarding, you know, by the time I met you, you were very young. You were in your mid twenties, and you had a pretty significant little nest egg in your four hundred one k, even though you were in your mid twenties, because right. you'd been saving since you were like fourteen. Right. I basically since the I think the earliest age you can even open a Roth IRA is when you're. 14 or 14 and a half or basically whatever the minimum age was at that time when you can have a job uh, because you have to put you can't just put like somebody else's money in it you have to put your own income I think that's that's how it works Um, so yeah I had started saving I was really into saving Um, but when we got together I think our first mission was like well we have to clear out this debt Right. Well, let's talk about the debt. Then. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I, funny enough, ironically, I'm the one who came from finance, but like many people in finance, um, I might've known how to make spreadsheets, but I wasn't good with managing 
my own finances. Mm -hmm. And so I had made some money, I'd spent a lot of money irresponsibly, but I had saved up a big chunk and put it into a startup. And so it wasn't as if I was just out partying and spinning it on right. mo models and bottles. Right, right, right. As they like, say you and I know that, but like other people might not know that. Other people might not know that, yeah. <laughs> so, and New York has this ability to, no matter how much money you make, it'll just take it right out of your oh, pocket. So My true. friend made a joke that there's a guy standing outside of your door in New York, and every time you leave, he's like, give me 60 bucks. It's that, like, that's how it is. Just leaving your house costs $60 in New York. Uh, so I had invested in a startup, uh, bada bing, bada boom, short story, I lost all my money. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't give yourself enough credit. Like Demir was the CEO of a really cool startup that had a lot of money invested in it from a yes. lot of big time investors. Yes. And unfortunately, like many startups, it didn't end up working out. But They lost their money. I lost my money. But the point is that when we came into our relationship, I was $100,000 in debt and had lost pretty much my life savings. So I was very much financially starting, not even just over, but from a hole, really trying right. to dig myself out of a hole. And um, that really plagued me. And so I think to set the stage for maybe the first level of our financial awareness was, um, I was really upset, inordinately upset at the idea that by us getting married, you would financially be way worse off. Right. For some reason that really upset me. Maybe some people are listening and thinking, well, of course, you should have been upset by that. And other people are thinking, well, what's the big deal? But it really bugged me that that all the work you'd done would sort of basically be counteracted by the fact that you married a bum like me. So um, that, that almost like delayed our decision to get married. Yeah. And, and there was an incredible amount of angst and almost like, I don't get very depressed, but like depression and anxiety because I was doing the math six ways from Sundays and it, it, it literally looked like it was going to take us 10 or 15 years to pay yeah. off this debt. Right. And we were not going to wait 10 or 15 years to get married. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's why we came to the decision that we should just go ahead and get married anyway, yeah. because we didn't really want to put our life on hold for sort of an immovable fact that was just like a part of our life at that point. Funny story, um, that was less of a decision and more Carrie like putting her foot down and saying, yo, if you're thinking about waiting until we clear out this debt to get married, like that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, in no uncertain terms, that's basically what happened. So, so we did get married, and I did. We did commingle our finances. Um, a couple things happened in there that I don't think are worth covering here. Like I negotiated down some of my debt with yeah. hospitals that I had owed some debt with, and so I was. I did the whole Dave Ramsey system, and and really was aggressive about trying to negotiate my debt down as much as possible. But we still, when we commingled our finances, took a hit. Took a hit on the credit, and of course, our net wealth. Um, when you combine yours with mine, we sort of like neutralize each other. And so our first goal really was just being debt free. Yeah. And I think we both just flung ourselves into that problem. Uh, we started Lifehack Method. Uh, we, I mean, we put everything we had into just saving and saving and saving money to pay off the debt. And I think we managed to pay it off a lot faster than I would have thought. I, I forget exactly how many months. But it, it was not even two years, I think, and we had to completely gotten rid of everything. Two years. I think Maybe. we carried my school debt at like a 2.5% interest rate. It was so low that it we didn't pay it off until recently. I mean, I recently. don't even really count that, you know, because it's such a low interest rate. Yeah, but we did even pay that off yeah. recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so I guess I'm just sort of like fast forwarding the story. A lot of people see us maybe at this point looking in from the outside and, and think that 
fire, financial independence, retire early, move to an exotic, you know, locale was always the goal. And actually it was much more mundane. (laughs) You know, our goal in the beginning was like, man, can we just pay off some of this debt? So it's not like breathing down our neck. Um, However, in that journey, of, of learning about being debt-free. We went through the whole Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. Um, we followed a lot of bloggers like Mr. Money Mustache. And um, there is a very parallel path. When you really get into paying off debt, there's a close parallel path to simplifying, minimizing, and, and really achieving financial independence. Yeah, exactly. I was very much into this idea of living beneath our means. Yeah. So whatever means we had, and we're very blessed to have been born in a very rich country with like a lot of opportunities to begin with. And so it might have seemed like, oh, we don't have as much as some other people, but I mean, compared to like the world, we had still a lot, right, that we were working with. And so we were always able to make a lot more money than we needed to live. And we just created that for ourselves as like, no matter how much we were making, we always made sure to have a cost of living way, way, way lower than that. Even if that meant living in Bali or going somewhere where our cost of living would go down. Yeah. Because our goal is never to put ourselves into a situation where we're just sort of like eating hand to mouth where our cost of living is equal to our income. Yeah, and, and living in, uh, we've we've lived in Los Angeles, uh, I've lived in the Bay Area, New York, and um, it's the opposite, where yeah. I see people with really good jobs who frankly have to start just to finance their lifestyle, and they're not living lavishly, have to start accruing consumer debt. And so just a little bit every single year, you know, maybe like 5,000 the first year, 10,000, but they start accruing that consumer debt. Right. And so what, what does that really mean? I mean, it's not a fin- smart financial move, but it, what it really tells me is, that they're living above their means even though they're not loving their lifestyle. And that was somewhere like I didn't want to be. Like I, yeah. I wanted, boy, without getting into our whole backstory, you and I made a commitment that we were just like, listen, we're not gonna wait till tomorrow to love our life. We we can be simple, we have simple needs, we have simple excitements, but we want to be able to enjoy our life today. We're not gonna wait till we're 60 years old to enjoy our life. It was sort of like we could choose to quote unquote, keep up with the Joneses yeah. now, but not even love our life as a result, or just sort of go a different direction and prioritize the lifestyle. And that's what we did. Yeah, yeah. So shout out to all the people like Dave Ramsey, Mr. Money Mustache, all the fire bloggers, all the debt-free bloggers. There's so many people out there. We're not gonna name too many specific names, but there's so much great information out there, people really yeah. trying to help. And we used a lot of like free or incredibly affordable advice um, in order to get ourselves debt-free. So that was really helpful, especially yeah. Dave Ramsey. Big shout out. Yeah. I think once we realized how much faster we could clear out debt, we were like, well, once we're debt-free, why don't we just make that savings instead of paying off debt? So we just literally kept it rolling. And I just recently we were like, wait a second, we could become actually financially independent, Yeah, which is an idea that is not necessarily for us about never working again, uh, but it's more about having the choice, having less yeah. risk and having more choice around how we're spending our time and uh, how we're, yeah, basically like what we need in order to survive. Well, I think this is like sort of a lesson looking back and we've got some big news we're about to drop here. Like, so there's, this is a continuous drum roll. We've hit a huge milestone. I want to share it. But I think one of the lessons from this entire journey was that we consistently achieved what we hoped to and then exceeded that. And you can never really see what's on the other side of some of these big 
milestones. Like for us, I don't think we really, until we got very close to paying off our debt, we weren't really thinking about what life would look like after, after we paid it. It was yeah. just like debt, debt, pay off the debt, pay off the debt. But then once we had paid off the debt, then this new sort of possibility became came into existence where it's like, wow, if we kept saving like this, we could actually achieve some level of financial freedom. And now we're even, achieve, now as we get closer and closer to financial freedom, we're even seeing other possibilities manifest themselves. So um, uh, what's his name? Trevor Noah from The Daily Show calls this the dream living beyond your dreams. Right, so you there's like as much as you can dream, but frankly, you could do so much better than that. And it's just like one step at a time you get there. So at this point, so moment in time, we've paid off our debt and we start getting excited about this concept of financial freedom, living abroad, all of that kind of stuff. And there were some people who in particular like lit the path for us. I have to shout out Tolly and Kobe. Yes, Kobe and Tolly, they are an awesome, awesome couple who we know, Um, they, basically with their free time. And I don't know, like, I don't know how they did it, but they started an entire university abroad, not even in the U S like abroad, because they have such a mission, um, around like imparting important pieces of information and knowledge to students, um, who are not being properly educated in university. And I mean, they're not very public people, so I'm not going to disclose much about them, but just shout out. And in fact, some of, I think the coolest people who've achieved financial independence and are traveling the world aren't blogging about it. And that's sort of a curiosity. Like we know some people who are very private. They're under the radar. Almost every couple is under the radar. There's some that post on YouTube, but yeah, these are normal people. That's what I love about them and other fire uh, couples is they tend to be like normal people who used to work normal jobs. Sure, they're smart and everything like that, but they're not, you know, they didn't like hit it big in tech or something like that. You know, there wasn't something like that that sort of like lit the way for them. They didn't exit a startup, you know, with a billion dollars or something. You know, these are people just like you and me who just, you know, saved. Yeah, and what was interesting is you know, they created a tremendous life for themselves. And without getting into too much detail, they moved to a super exotic place, the coolest neighborhood in the coolest city, <laughs> like opened an art studio, started like a university. I mean, that to me excited me because I had thought about financial independence as like, no, that's it. I'm gonna cash my chips in. Right. I'm never gonna work again. And I've never really been excited about like rocking chair retirement. You know, so yeah. so I think seeing them was like, oh, wait, it doesn't have to mean like we don't work ever again. It could mean that we've got the freedom to do the work that we really want to do. Or just fun projects that might may or may not make good business sense, yeah. but that we feel called to do. Totally, totally. So they were a big inspiration. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot of people online. Um, you know, I, I wrote down a couple people. There's a couple that I love on YouTube called Our Rich Journey. So that's the YouTube channel, Our Rich Journey. And um, they're, I've been really digging on their channel recently because they've got kids. And yeah, so really cute. they've sort of created a life for themselves in financial independence. They still do money-making endeavors, even though they've achieved financial independence, Uh, but they really focus on living in Portugal with their two daughters. And I think for me and you, this idea of like expat living, like they're more aligned with like what my dream is now. Right, yeah, we definitely want to have the free time to homeschool our kids if we wanna do that and definitely travel and live in different countries, continue to travel and live in different countries. So I think that's that's been a big motivator for us on a daily basis is yeah. now seeing that so within reach. 
Yeah, totally. Okay, so so without further ado, should we actually talk a little bit about what this big announcement is? Um, so obviously, I think we've set the stage. A little bit of a recap. Uh, we started just looking to get out of debt. Then we upgraded our goal to create financial independence as fast as possible. We didn't have a particular timeline, um, but we did have a number. And so we needed to hit a certain number. So we are now halfway there halfway 55 percent or 53 percent depending on how you calculate it and where the stock market is on any given day where our tesla stock is right (laughs) we're not tesla millionaires or tesla nares as they call them um no but uh we we passed the fit i mean all joking aside like we should be we should seriously pat ourselves on the back yes you know the 50 way for 50 percent mark um is a big deal and it's also happening a lot sooner than we had even thought that it would. Yes, I think originally we will we were looking at the numbers and we were like, yeah, I think a 10-year timeline is where we're going to be at. And now looking at the the growth of our business combined with the growth of the stock market and we're looking at more like 5, I think. Yeah. And then and that's crazy cuz I, you know, I thought, man, if I could um, retire by the time Gigi's 10, I would be 50. I was super happy with that. I was like, right. okay, especially given our lifestyle now. It's not like we live a terrible lifestyle. We work like 24, 25 hours a week. You know, we've got a lot of help in the house. So it's not even a hard lifestyle. And so for me, I was like, great, I could do this forever. Uh, 10 more years, no problem. And then I'll be able to do uh, maybe a sabbatical or like a sort of mini retirement when Gigi's 10. And if we have any other kids, they would be a little bit younger. And that to me was like perfect. The fact that now that's become a five-year timeline is sort of mind-blowing. It's pretty mind-blowing. And keeping in mind though that the number that we're shooting for is always sort of a floating number based on wherever our lifestyle costs are, our living expenses. Yeah, let's let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah, I think um, when I when I look at the way we've done it versus say other people, what we've always done is like I mentioned, always keep kept our cost of living far below what our income was, and so we end up saving almost more than we're even spending on our lifestyle versus saving like. Five percent or ten percent, like we're saving much quicker. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, we're we're saving, you know, right? Like an, an, mul- whole multiples of our cost of living are being saved. So like if we're right, if we're spending, you know, X thousand dollars per month, we're saving at least that much or more towards our financial freedom goal. That's like that's been really crucial for us to make a lot of progress quickly is to reduce the expenses. But that also means that if, you know, in retirement or, you know, whenever we achieve that financial independence, we would need to make sure that our cost of living stays below that number. Sure. Yeah. We couldn't move to Manhattan or uh, we could, but we would just have to save longer. Yeah, exactly. I I think what's important about this is like we, a lot of people say, what's your number? So we're going to tell you what our number is, but also with the caveat that, um, that you can, there's like dials that if you move one, the others like sort of automatically move. So we are aiming to save $1.4 million um, as our financial freedom goal. And again, that's because we live in Colombia. We do visit, you know, sort of more developed countries and travel there. But we, since we live here and our cost of living is based here and we have healthcare here and all that, it, it means that we have a significantly lower cost of living and a significantly higher quality. Significantly of life. lower. Um, now, um, if we decided that we wanted to retire in New York City, you know that number would have to go way, 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 up. way, way up. Way, way up. Um, uh, conversely, if we wanted to move to Kigali or you know um, somewhere in Africa, then and and a lot of people are like, oh my god, Africa, and it's like there's some sick, amazing oh, yeah. places Africa in Africa. Is fantastic, right? Rwanda right now is 
like everybody's like raving about mm-hmm. pe- people who go through Rwanda. But um, the point is, is if there are places that we can move in the world right now and retire today. Right. And and remember, like those places have Internet, Um, you know, they might not have the same quality of life that we're enjoying here in Colombia, but like, you know, 80, 85 percent of that quality. So we could get 80, 85 percent of the quality of life that we're enjoying right now and literally just like call it. Right. Right. So it's all about what what sacrifices you're willing to make or what changes you're willing to make. They're not even really sacrifices. It's just yeah. how much you're willing to change. Yeah, like trades. Yeah. 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 Like we trade like being close to our friends and family, you know, which in the pandemic doesn't even seem like such so much of a trade. <laughs> we couldn't see them anyways. But we trade that in order to have help in the house and have this quality of life and save. So right. um so yeah, there's places that we could live in the world and that number would be lower than one point five million and we could we get we're 1.4 and we could retire now. Um, the other thing I think it's imp- is important to save is say is that roughly we've saved about a third of our net wealth. So if you take our total liquid net wealth, we've saved probably a third of that, and two thirds of that has been actually created value inside of the stock market. And I think Ooh, that's yeah. important distinction. To yes. Make. Yeah. And again, because uh, I started so early, we have a lot of advantage there. Um, versus people I've seen who start much later in the stock market. But it really is, when you think about any kind of exponential curve, it's like it might seem so hard at the beginning, but then all of a sudden you reach a point where it starts to curve upwards. They tell you that in school and you don't believe it. And then because it, happens it seems to you. so far out. And I get that. Like it's a long time when it just almost seems like I'm checking my account and it's almost always the same number. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it starts taking off. It really takes off on you. Yep. It's, it's crazy. I mean, and the other thing, and this is probably an important important distinction to make is, um, we've said this a lot, but I'll say it a lot more. This year, we have we have a strong policy of time in the market beats timing the market. So we have a strong conviction that we never, at least at this age, we never pull out of the market unless yes. we need that capital to buy real estate or, you know, or there's an emergency. We just, as a principle, will stay in the market. So when the pandemic hit, most prognosticators thought, Okay. Yeah, the stock we should pull out of the market, hit. and we were yeah. just like, you know what? Our policy is to stay in, and we ride the waves, and that's where it gets hard because everybody wants to bail when they think that the market's going to go down. But then the problem is, uh, those say, like studies show this; those same people tend to miss the upswings. And and so this happened. We we literally held each other's hand, looked deep into each other's <laughs> eyes, said, "Okay, we're probably going to lose like a third of the value. Can we handle like mentally prepare?" Yes. And instead. The market rocketed up in this huge way that if we had missed, would have been a huge hit. Yeah, well, basically, we accelerated our independence goal or the the timing we would have taken to hit that goal by a couple of years. Yeah. So it was a huge boon for us. And yeah, it just reinforced in my mind that like, yep, we're just going to stay in the market because you and I, we're working on our business the whole day. We're not tracking the stock market. Like, we don't know enough about that area. So we just sort of substitute knowledge with just a commitment and a mental toughness to just stay in the market. Well, and as a former stock analyst, the truth is, is that even stock analysts are like, I don't know where this market, like I can, people can tell you about the fundamentals of companies, but nobody really knows. But that doesn't predict where the stock market's going to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. And people try to like pick stocks or whatever. But our policy has been like, how do we choose like the lowest risk index funds and uh, you know places where like we'd be comfortable losing if we yeah. needed to, and just sort of writing those. Yeah. Just write it out. Just write it out. Um, I, I think this is this is something you tell me a lot, and I want you to sort of dig into this. When when you look at 
like high school textbooks that talk about stock market returns. It always feels very much like every single year you can expect 7% returns, right? 7.05%. And then then you do graphs and it's like these very nice little like steadily moving lines, but that's not actually how the stock returns, the stock market returns. No, it doesn't work like that. So if you look at like actual markets, you might have a year when you make a 30% return, but then the next year you lose 11%. Yeah. So like maybe the average is 7% across a lifetime, but like you're up and then down and then up and then down, like, right. Or maybe sometimes you're up, up, up and then down, down, down. Like, but the point is you can't ever, you don't want to miss out on the years when you could be up because you know that there's going to be years when you're down. So it's not, it's not like this linear path. Like they show you in the textbook, you know, across the whole marketplace it is, but in terms of an individual investor's portfolio, it can look a lot more jagged. So we know somebody who will remain unnamed who was determined to stay out of the stock market and time everything this year. And that person missed this run up, right? And so the problem with that is they missed a big year where they could have been solidifying some gains. And, and I think that's, I just can't explain that. I'm, we're not financial advisors. We're not telling you how to manage your money, but I can tell people that like for us, our experience has been that time in the market has always been time in the market. Even when we thought we were gonna take a loss, often the year that you're convinced you should take your money out and you'll lose something is the year that you're totally wrong. And there's a huge run up and you missed that run up. And that actually really hits your returns for like a decade to come. Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of studies about this that it's less about uh, like your knowledge of the stock market. It's much more about your mental toughness because again, it's like when you even if you're seeing it happen, you're seeing the value of your accounts go down like before your eyes, and you have to have mental toughness to be like, nope, like I already planned for this up here, you know, like I'm yeah. I'm prepared to lose this much or whatever. That's why we don't look. <laughs> it's That's so helpful just to not look. I'm telling you, and I, our secret is, I almost don't never look. check. Maybe like once a month, I'll go in but when I'm doing my budgeting to just check on everything. But yeah, it's helpful not to look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that obsessive tracking honestly doesn't make you better. It makes you worse. Right. Okay. So I, I think we've covered off a little bit on that. Um, you know, for me, let me just check here. I had some notes for myself. It, I, you know, a lot of people especially since we have a coaching program and we're very much on the upswing of our awareness, like we're, we're gaining an awareness and, and I guess you would say popularity. I don't know how to say that, um, but we're growing fast. Right, yes. And and after, you know, five, six years of hard work, it seems like we're sort of on the bubble and, and, and we're seeing people finding us on YouTube or seeing us on podcasts. So there's that moment where all the hard work seems to be paying off. And a lot of people are like, what are you talking about? You're going to retire. So maybe we should speak really quick to this concept of five yes. versus fire. And I know we touched on this before, but you know, I don't know. How, what's well, your take on this? Do you want to do you want to yeah, be yeah, financially fine. independent and retire early, or do you just want the financial independence part? No, I think I would get so bored so fast. I think after two weeks of not working, I'd be like, okay, what, what are we, are we doing? Do now? What are we doing? <laughs> because I think both of us are so active and energetic, and we have so many ideas that we want to execute that it's not really a question for me if if we're going to be working or not. Like we're going to be working. Yeah. The question is more just like what risks do we take on in our business or how much do we work or who do we work with? We might get pickier with who our clients are. It's more just knowing that you have the option to say no at any moment rather than feeling like, well, we got to hit our number this month. So off I go to work. And I think this is the thing. We know some people who are 
crushing it in their, you know, we, we've been privy now to meet people in the personal development space who are making whole multiples more than we make. Yeah. Um, but they also live in the United States where the cost of living is higher and they have a whole staff and every single month they've got a, they've got a big hole that they have to fill because they've got fixed cost. Um, and to me, I always think, why would you become an entrepreneur and then put yourself right back it's like the yes. reason we become entrepreneurs is to get the gun away from our head, right? And I think this is what I hear you saying is, listen, financial independence isn't about not working, it's about working without the gun to your neck, right? Yeah, we wanted to get off a rat race when we started our own business, but then what we were seeing was a lot of entrepreneurs were still sort of stuck in their entrepreneurial rat race. Yeah, they created their own trap. It's like, yeah. I want, I'm gonna get and out of this trap it was worse. this other trap. It was much worse because they take on 100% of the risk rather than working for a company that is in charge of taking on that risk. Yeah. And you're just an employee, right? So it was actually way worse in a lot of cases. So what we wanted to do was get off the rat race altogether and create a business that we didn't have to then like work just to keep up with or work for investors or work for the whatever the stock price of the business or whatever it was yeah. we wanted to like you said just completely get off yeah and, and for me what's interesting about financial independence and i can feel it already i thought we'd have to wait until we finally hit that number but every milestone we pass as we get closer, I, I, a big one was buying our house in cash. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that we bought our house in cash, we renovated it in cash, there's no debt on our house. And there was just this feeling that swept over me of <laughs> just screw everybody else. <laughs> I, I know it sounds funny, but like not screw everybody else in a malicious way, just more like there was a feeling of freedom from what other people thought about our business or about us or about anything. Like I I started caring less and less about what people thought um, and, and more and more about what I wanted to do or what was exciting exactly. to me. Yeah, it's already so it's already happening a little bit. Is Yeah, is I'm getting it in like little portions. Right. But I'm excited to see like what what happens in this business. I wanna stay in this business. I love what we do. I can't imagine that we would find something that would be more suited to what I do and then than what we currently do. So to me, letting go of this business would just be a waste of time because then we'd have to build another business which doesn't have the same chance of being as well suited right. as, as this one is. But I do wanna see what happens when we're coming to work every day from a place of just wanting to work rather and knowing that there's zero economic need. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I'm doing this 100% because I want to be here. This is a way that I want to spend my time, a way that I want to have impact. It's not at all about the paycheck. And I even wonder how clients would respond. Yeah. If they knew that you didn't need their money, you just wanted to serve them. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it would ironically make our business grow even faster. I agree. What do you think so? I think it's because when you are, have a come to the business with that attitude that you're gonna take more risks, and let's be honest, like some of those ideas might sound crazy, but those crazy ideas are usually the ones that pay off. Yeah. And we also would probably shoot bigger, like we would reach out to like partners or just, just who, I don't know, whoever, sort of like take more moonshots than we are right now because we're so focused on like doing things we know will work that I think we sometimes don't have as many, like we don't, try as many yeah. of those moonshot things. We were, we were talking about this this morning. We were having coffee and sitting out on the porch before the baby woke up. And uh, man, you're so right about that. Ironically, when when you 
should be taking your moonshots. You sort of don't because yeah. you're so economically conservative and you don't feel powerful. Um, but financial independence gives you that power to be like, I'm going to reach out and email this person. Who cares if they, you know, don't like me or think that I'm weird? You know, I'm just going to reach out and see if they want to get on the phone and talk. And just taking when I say risk, I don't mean irresponsible risk, but just like I think you nailed it. Moonshots. I think I think you would probably see us taking a lot more moonshots mm-hmm. if we it, when we hit financial independence. Yeah. I love that. Um, OK, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about risk. I, I don't think this conversation would be complete if we didn't talk about risk. OK. Ironically, I think in the United States, I feel like everything is about money. Like, how much money do you have? How rich are you? But nothing is about, like, how safe are you? Right. But that's, I mean, I think people sort of mean that when they talk about money. They they think that's what it means. They think that's what it means. Because they see somebody making a lot of money and they're like, oh, that person is set. You know, like, oh, if I could only just make more money. It's almost like that's, they have safety. Money equals safety. Yeah, but it doesn't at all. I think is what we've seen is that like money does not equal safety because those same people are usually over leveraged because the second their income increases, they increase their standard of living. So they increase their size of their house. They buy another car, whatever. I mean, it's so easy to spend money. I mean, quick story. And and I, I, I we have a friend who we love and was telling us, oh, you've got too much unused capital. You need to, you need to leverage yourself into some rental properties, right? Um, and mathematically, I could see where they were coming from. Mathematically, it'd be like, look, if you took this capital, you could leverage it in. You could have all these properties developing income. Well, we decided to keep to our route. I mean, I think at some point we will invest yeah, in real estate, we will, but, yeah. but we, we decided to stay in our lane and, and keep with our plan. And then the pandemic happened. And now we have friends who have four or five apartments that all of the tenants are behind right, and they right. can't go to the bank and say, I'm sorry, I can't pay the note. So that's how, you know, I think people who don't have money will look at people who have money and say, well, they've got it all set. And often when you peek behind the curtain, they're over leveraged too. And it doesn't take too much to turn over their Apple card. Right, exactly. It's like, and so for us, it's more about de-risking our life. Yes. So it's like, okay, like what could happen? Okay, now I guess pandemic's on the list. So now we're de-risking for a pandemic. Uh, But before that, it was just like, okay, let's de-risk for our housing. We want to be able to own our house so that nobody can take it away from us. Um, You know, we want to de-risk our cost of living. We want to be able to make a lot more than we spend and still have a high standard of living. Yeah, Yeah. we wanted to live somewhere where what we were making was way, way more than we needed to live the quality of life that we did exactly and i mean i'll just put the final point on it here for us we would rather make less money or show less wealth for example a good example here is that we bought our home in cash that means that we have less liquid assets to go spend on something else so you know ostensibly that's not a good financial move because it would have been better to leverage into that right however that comes at a lower risk meaning there's no note there's nothing that could happen in our life or in our business such that our house could ever get get taken away from us so we have this house we truly truly have it and there's no scenarios in which we won't have it right yeah Um, so it's it's almost like psychological safety too because if you look at it purely from a logical standpoint and say we lived in the States, like we probably would have, it would have been still smart. I mean, they're, they're offering 2% mortgages right now in the States. Like that's obviously so low, you know, you should probably buy as much house as you can. Yeah. Uh, but for us, it was more about like that psychological safety of like 
no, like we just want to pay pay it and like never have to pay it again. Yeah, and I mean, I, I feel like what we want is we want to attain a quality of life and a style of life and never have to step back down, right? Because I think a lot of people will notch up like 10 notches and then something bad happens. They fall down like 10 notches again, you know? And it, that, I don't need that drama in my life. I want it like low, slow, and steady. Exactly, yeah. We yeah. just want to settle in and relax. Yeah. So um, why don't we talk about the elephant in the room for a second, which is that we moved abroad. Yeah, yeah, and we covered this a little bit in the last episode about geo-arbitrage. But yeah, big, big, big part of our wealth building has been the fact that we don't live in the U.S. anymore, but we still make money in U.S. dollars. And so that geo-arbitrage effect where we can spend money in Colombian pesos, but make it in a different currency that happens to be very strong, um, is going for us. It's just pulling in our favor massively. And some people are just like, that's so smart. I can't believe you're doing that. And some people are like, that's cheating. (laughs) You're cheating. Right. And uh, you know, my response to the latter is, um, there are so many cheats that big companies get, you know, loopholes. Like, I feel like if you ever get a window for quick wealth building or an advantage, like you absolutely need to take it. We're not hurting anybody. Like we're not, we're not, we're not cheating in such a way that somebody else is losing. I think that's important. Exactly. Exactly. Cause like people can cheat in such a way where other people get stepped on, but that's not happening here. If anything, we're helping more people now because we're employing so many people here in this country. So we're basically just like siphoning money from the U S into a country that needs it, really in, needs a, it. in a big, big way. Yeah. Um, especially because a lot of the people we employ are Venezuelans, and Venezuela right now is going through a humongous humanitarian crisis. And these people don't have access that the US, that US people have in a crisis. They don't have social services that's gonna be there for them. Like these are people like in a very precarious situation. Yeah. So it makes me feel really good that we're actually here doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I we could do a whole podcast on this, but I could just say that living here now and seeing the net effect um, and seeing how many people, we actually once calculated that probably 35 people are being supported from the paychecks that we send out to our employees, like from our assistant to our house cleaner. Um, that that makes me feel fantastic. Yep. I feel fantastic about that every single day. So um, that's another topic for another time. Um, where do you want to take this from here? I feel like we should talk about two more things before we close out. Okay. One is I think we should talk about um, this idea that I think people think, well, what's the point of making, what's the point of trying to achieve financial independence? Because I'll always find an equilibrium where even if I earn more, I'll just spend more because I'll want more. This idea oh, that yeah, okay. that that the more you make, the more your desire increases. And now you, even though you're happy with like a four-door sedan, the second that you make more, you'll want a SUV and then you'll want something more. I, yeah, I totally see this. And I think for those people who are currently thinking, as I think there are people who think that, and I think people do that too. And I think yeah. for the people for whom that happens, there's two issues. One is they're keeping up with the Joneses. So they're just yeah. trying to get whatever their friends have. Yes. And that's like their most important thing is to just have whatever the other person has. Or they have up, they don't think they deserve to have money. So they spend it. Yes. Yes. And I think, well, we both had to sort of like get over those 
mental barriers. Because at, at some point, you're very used to seeing a certain amount of money in your bank account. And it can be actually unner- unnerving to see a lot more than that in your bank account. Yeah. You're sort of like, <gasps> you sort of freeze and you're like, what is wrong? Like, do I need to like do something with this? And a lot of people then I see sort of like reinvest it in their business to make it grow faster. But the problem is then they're never actually saving any money yeah. from their business. I mean, that's, oh God, we could talk about that forever. Like yeah. people who don't, yeah, who dump too much money into their business. But I, I will say that, you know, I feel like we've done personal de- two sort of personal development twists that I think were important. Number one is there are actually studies right now. Um, there, there's like actually the study of happiness. So a lot of like universities and psychology departments are studying to study like happiness. And as a part of that, like there's sort of an economics branch that's like, can you spend money to make yourself happier? And if right. so, how? Right. And so, um, by the way, there's incredible, like go online, you can find it super easy, just incredible studies where the answer is like, yeah, like if you're, if you're spending money, it's not making you happier, then you're not spending it right there are certain things that you can and lo and behold um brand new tvs although they will make you very happy for like one week like have a sharp drop off where all of a sudden like you really don't care about it anymore whereas going to a concert with friends or traveling to a foreign country or getting yourself some help to to make your everyday life a little bit better maybe getting a little bit more childcare, like these are the things you can spend your money on that will actually like tangibly and noticeably make your life better and um so what's interesting is i think you and i from the outside might have some really funky ways of spending our money like a good example is you know we're really successful and we don't own a car right yeah um and we don't own a car not just like in new york city where maybe we don't own a car in Colombia, right um and there's pretty robust ubers down here but it's just interesting because you realize that a part of owning a car is an economic decision about getting from A to B, but a big part of it is about status. Yeah, oh, it totally is, yeah. Because if you have a car, well, then what do you get next? Oh, well, you get like a finca in the countryside so that you can drive your car somewhere. Yeah. Because otherwise, what are you gonna do? Drive it to like a doctor's appointment? That's not cool. So yeah, I think I think stuff begets well, uh, stuff. Stuff begets stuff, and like when you're trying to increase your status, you're going to end up buying really expensive things. And then those things require you to buy other other things. things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but I I think maybe I was hinting, but I'll be more explicit. Like you you've seen people's reaction when they see our success and they see how we live, and then we'll say that we don't have a car, and there's just this moment where they just can't process that. You know, they can't process that somebody could be successful and not not own own a car. car. And it, it's almost like I can see in that moment that their estimation of us just clicks one down. Oh no. You know, like, no, not like, not like 10 down, you know, they still like, I think, you know, but I can just see in their eyes, they just like, "Mm, you know, like what kind of heathens are you? You I've never actually bought a new car in my life. Neither have I. It's funny. Like. No, I've, but I think that's like a value I got from my parents. Like Me new too. car was always like, <gasps> you know, like, what are you doing? Do yes. you realize how much value that loses when that's you drive true. it off the right, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, anyways, but um, I, I think the reason I wanted to bring that up is because um, w- there really was a level at which the more money we made, we did start buying more things. Yep. But then it really leveled off. And, and what I found is that there's really just a certain lifestyle that people want, a lifestyle where they want to be able to get some help. Because especially if you're 
young family with kids, like getting some help is just so important. They wanna be able to go out to dinner once in a while. They wanna be able to take a trip a couple times a year. And once you get to the level where you own your house, you can take a trip a couple times a year and you can go to a restaurant a couple times a month and you've got some help in the house, it's like sharply drops off. Yeah, we can't even, we don't, yeah, we don't spend as, we we have not noticed that increase in yeah. in spending. So then as our business income kept growing, but our, we sort of like flatlined with our expenditures, it just sort of convinced me that people aren't like these rapacious greed machines where they're like, the more money you give them, they'll just wanna buy more and more. The truth is, is they can be satisfied. You know, they, and, and I guess the message that I've, I sort of want people to get out there is like, you're not bad. You know, think about what you want and think about whether what you want is going to make you happy and and don't buy things that will just require you to buy even more things, right? Um, but, you know, don't feel bad about the lifestyle that you want to create either. You know, like yeah. be somewhere and live somewhere where you can have that lifestyle because frankly, you can start enjoying your life right now. And then ironically, when you when you're living every day in a way where you're really enjoying it, then you can almost work more productively and be more successful because instead of asking the question, how much longer can I take this? You're yes, saying like, exactly. oh, I could do it like this forever. Yeah, I think that that's the key too because financial independence doesn't, I think we used to think that it meant, oh, well, you have to then like, you know, like Mr. Money Mustache everything where like you're, you're riding a bicycle because you don't even want to take a taxi or whatever. And we prefer more of a, relaxed approach where like we're living exactly the way we want but yet still saving what we want to save to hit that financial independence goal yeah so yeah i think i think we're trying to we're trying to do it the no sacrifice route <laughs> or at least no perceived sacrifices yeah it doesn't seem like we're sacrificing much um cool well why don't we do you want to wrap this up and yeah. maybe like talk about what's next so maybe i'll i'll, I'll set it up here like how long do you think it will I know this is complete guessing based on where the <laughs> stock market goes, but like, do you think it will take us five years? And what do you think we should be doing differently in the next five years than we did in the last five years? I think it could possibly take as little as two years. Um, or, I mean, it could take more than five years. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it just depends. Um, but I'm very, very excited about it. And in terms of what we need to do differently, I think the, the number one thing that we can always do is to keep an eye on the percentage that we're saving yeah. um, versus a percentage of income. Yeah. Right? Because those can actually start to get wonky really, really, really fast. So yes. just looking at like business gross revenues and keeping a, like a sharp eye towards how much we are saving yeah. um, based on a percentage of, of gross revenues. Yeah, I think a weird thing that's happened this year is that for example, we looked at our monthly expenditure and we were like, whoa, that's way too high because we're used to it being Lower, like yeah. really, really low. But actually when we looked at it as a percentage of what we were saving and what our yep. gross revenues was, it was actually low, as low as it's ever been, mm -hmm. right? So um, that felt foreign because what that told me is uh, that we, we don't have to artificially restrict ourselves based on some it doesn't ethically make us better people right <laughs> like you know it's go ahead go ahead like hire those people go out into the economy spend that money right you know like i know that sounds weird but like one of the things that people with wealth should do is they should spend it they shouldn't yeah. like stuff it under their mattress they should yes. go hire masseuses and they should hire coaches and they should you know 
spend money, you know, and like get it out there into the economy, recirculating, not all of it, but like, you know, a, a portion of it. Right. And, and so, you know, it's not like, I don't want to think it doesn't make us better people that we're spending, but I think that's one of the things that people um, who have wealth should do as long as they are doing it in a balanced way relative to what they're investing for their future, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's hard to say that what we could be doing better. One, I, I can say one thing that com- this is coming to my mind recently, we made one small move. We stopped allowing ourselves to instantly buy things from Amazon. And we instituted a rule that you could only put it in the cart. And once every two weeks, like there's once a every day, month, actually, Oh, yeah. once every month. Oh, I thought it was once every two weeks, but anyways, once a month we will go and we will review the cart together and then make a decision based on the whole cart. And at this point now, I think the cart sort of swelled in size to a thousand dollars. And then we're like, <laughs> and then we like sort of like put some things into the safe for later. And now it's like back down to like $600, but it'll probably be like around five to $800 in that Amazon cart. Um, and it will force us to look at all of these purchases in relationship to each other, rather than seeing them as like, oh, that's only $30. What a great deal. Let's buy it, right? <laughs> um, and so I think that's probably one of our coolest new innovations. New is just like just starting to do. Putting, putting a little bit of a speed bump on the Amazon.com habit. Sorry, Jeff Bezos, you can't have all of our money. I think he's doing okay he's for doing himself. Fine. He's yeah, doing fine. Yeah, he'll be okay. All right. Well, that is our, that's a wrap right now for this podcast episode. Thank you everybody for tuning in. If you could, please, please, please leave us a review on Apple podcasts. Um, that would really help us if you have the Apple podcast app and in your review, if you have questions for us about our uh, freedom lifestyle or something else you want to talk, you want us to talk about, then just tell us in your review. Um, cause we read those. Yeah. And you can learn more about us at www.lifehackmethod.com.